Today is February 21st, 2022. Happy Monday. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. I'm Jamie Brazil, your host. Support for the Happy Market Research Podcast and the following message comes from Michigan State's Marketing Research Program and HubUX. I've done hundreds of interviews with today's top minds in market research. Many of them trace their roots to Michigan State's Marketing Research Program. Are you looking for a higher paying job to expand your professional network and to achieve your full potential in the world of market research? Today, the program has tracks for both full-time students and working professionals. They also provide career support, assisting students to win today's most sought after jobs. In fact, over 80% of Michigan State's marketing research students have accepted job offers six months prior to graduating. If you are looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. HubUX is a research operations platform for private panel management, qualitative automation, including video audition questions and surveys. For a limited time, user seats are free. If you'd like to learn more or create your own account, visit hubux.com. This is episode 509, and according to Billboard's music charts, Blinding Lights by Canadian pop star The Weeknd has become the number one song of all time. For today's episode, we have an interview with the qualitative UX research lead at Pinterest. But before we jump into that, I'd like to announce that we may be changing the name of our podcast. Currently, it is the Happy Market Research Podcast, but with much consideration and feedback from our listeners, aka you, we've decided to change the name, probably, to the Happy Market Research Mafia. Now, I'm kind of kidding. It's a little bit of jest. But for years, we have had two stickers. One is a new school shark sticker who's listening to the podcast, carrying a surfboard. I love that sticker. The other is a black and white secret agent cartoony looking dude. Whenever we're at industry conferences, I ask my guests and friends which one they prefer. And of course, they get to take that one. Almost categorically, they like the secret agent. We did a little probing with some of our listeners as to why they prefer the secret agent. And interestingly enough, the sticker's imagery conveys membership, exclusivity, and a little danger, all wrapped up in fun. For those of us in the agency side of the research world, we rarely do research on our own brands. And I think this is a big mistake. My teaser for you today is to think about your brand. What imagery does it convey to your target customer? And if you don't know, ask them. As the late philosopher Alan Watts used to say, an eyeball can't see itself. For philosophers, this references the ego. For marketers, this references the brand. 
Only through the use of external tools like mirrors and pictures can an eyeball see itself. Similarly, we leverage surveys and in-depth interviews and a host of other methodologies so that customers can reflect our image back to us. It is vital that in today's ever-changing world that we are regularly using these instruments to hear from our customers, to understand what they care about and what they think about us as brands. And we as agencies actually are exactly that. We are a brand. So with that, I would like to challenge you to maybe conduct a little bit of research. It doesn't have to be scientific. It could probably be a conversation with just a handful of customers about what they think about your brand. Get their feedback. The results might surprise you. All right, here's our interview. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Our guest is Marcos Moldez, qualitative UX research lead at Pinterest. I am thrilled to be able to sit down with you, sir, and chat about Qual360 North America's upcoming event. The title is Empowering Insights Through Emotions. There is probably not ever been a more important topic than emotions today. I mean, I feel like it's like trending, trending, trending. It's all about totally. creating, right? Yeah, it's about creating moments. And your topic is co-creating the future, which I'm already in love with that whole framework because why don't we do more co-creation instead of these like single kind of, I'm going to go this direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then using strategic foresight as a qualitative co-creation provocation. So give us a little sneak peek into the the talk. Without giving too much away, recently at Pinterest, I worked on a piece of work where we were really interested in thinking about five years out, right? Like sort of not the, the sort of here and now. And as we all know, like inevitably when you ask someone in a research interview, like, what do you want to be doing a year from now? Like most people don't know what they're doing next Tuesday, let alone a year from now, let alone five years from now, who knows? And so I wanted to be very mindful about setting people up for success in exploring what the future might hold. So we worked with a strategic foresight strategist to create four sort of distinct worlds based on some emerging weak signals we see in the marketplace today and use these to sort of say like, okay, so five years from now, the world looks like this and gave them kind of enough sort of context for what being in that world feels like to have them think about like, what would you want that to look like? What would need to be true? Which of these worlds resonates with you and why? So that we could start having a conversation where participants were sort of forced to make trade-off decisions. So one world had some, or rather every world had positives and negatives. And so it was around seeing where, like what were the trade-offs people were willing to make for what purpose? So I love co-creation. I think who better to tell you sort of how to design than the, the folks you you're sort of have in mind. They're the experts of their lives. So that's sort of briefly what the talk will be about. Oh, I love that. I'm super excited to dive into this topic with you. So sure. you created five scenarios, metaverse, one of the scenarios. Um, it was actually, so while it was, we talked about it as a sort of like AR. So like, you know, the world's now primarily in AR and what does that look like for you? And, you know, what does that look like for your business? You know, another one was actually the world has gone totally the opposite and has gone, uh, you know, right. a bit old school. What does this mean for you? And it was interesting because one participant 
she was like, I choose none of them. And it was, we had to sort of, okay, like, I understand that none of these sound great or that, you know, they aren't necessarily ideal, but like dive into the feeling there. And that's where we really talk. It was interesting because like the whole idea was just to provoke a response from people. So I didn't mind that she, you know, the classic way a qual participant will be like, I choose none. <laughs> it was just a chance for me to say, like, say more about that. What's scary about them? What's off-putting about them? What's missing from these worlds? So even in the case where someone was like, I don't see myself here. Okay, well, then tell me why. Tell me why you don't see yourself here. And so you know, even the absence of, you know, wanting to be in one of these worlds was really helpful to understand, you know, what she was feeling, what she was thinking. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. You know, quantitative data, of course, it provides us really the what, and then qualitative data really uncovers that human, the why, and allows you to, to dig super deep. I think it's fascinating that you started with a framework of world building and then kind of like airdropped the participants into that. Did you do that in a one-on-one context or was it like a focus group? It was in a focus group. In the case of this specific project, we didn't have, we were going for sort of uh, casting a wider net. And what we did with this focus group actually was three rounds with the same people uh, over the course of three weeks. So we introduced the future worlds in the first conversation and we sort of kept coming back to them Mm -hmm. as we brought co-designed stimulus back to the participants every other week to say like, okay, so, you know, oh, Janet, not her real name, you picked X world you know, is this what you have in mind? Uh, uh, you know, and was she was able to sort of say like, no, it, it looked a bit different or it's missing some sort of key functionality. The idea was to sort of use it to provoke thinking and then to sort of inspire our designs that we would then bring back to them for more feedback. It's really interesting how you said sometimes you would just get the negative. It is actually, you know, a lot like creating a statue. And I forget which famous sculptor said it, but the gist of it was, the quote was, the figure is in the stone. My job is to mm-hmm. cut away all the things that are in the way, right, of that yeah. of that image. And that's in a lot of the methodology, it sounds like, or the specific approach to understanding this what-if scenarios. So I'm an anthropologist sort of by training, and I'll never forget one of my sort of mentors always said, you know, sometimes like absence is just as important as presence. So like what someone's not talking about or what someone is choosing to like not acknowledge can tell you just as much as to the thing that they're happily willing to sort of chirp on about for hours and hours and hours. And so- I know, like, there's that thing that is floating around LinkedIn, like, oh, if you, if you, Thomas Edison had asked people what they wanted, they would have said brighter candles. And right. like, I don't, I don't know how much I buy that, <laughs> to be honest. I think people have a very good sense, like, what they need at a sort of like more kind of emotional level. So if you can get people to talk about their feelings or, you know, like what triggers an emotion or an affect or what triggers a specific response to stimulus that can sort of get you beyond the like, what color should the button be? What color should the case be to that? Like what needs to be true? Like five years from now, what is it that you you want your business to look like? And what would that unlock for you? Or what would that feel? We were talking to business owners in the case of the study, uh, just keeping it vague uh, for NDA purposes, but 
I like to sort of approach research as someone who sets up the conditions for conversation and then gets out of the way and lets the participant drive. Because I find, at least, that they can bring you to really cool and interesting places. And as you know, it's our job as researchers to kind of stay on track, but also give them room yeah. to show us what they want to sh- like, let them show us what they want to show us, you know, you gotta let um, it and we can, yeah. And we can, you know, you kind of have to let a participant cook a little yeah. bit yeah. and in their thinking. And so I love to sort of play with like, anything that can help to sort of provoke a response and then let's unpack that response together in a way that feels respectful and safe, of course. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. What really stands out to me, and you referenced the Thomas Edison quote, I think Henry Ford had a, there was a similar one, right? About a faster horse versus a car. But really to understand the customer in a lot of ways, I think in a modern framework, we need to be the customer. We need to- Right, we really need to be able to viscerally connect with the pain that they're trying to solve when they're using our products or or services, and and that and that subsequent journey, and why we're better than the competitive set, how they're solving those problems now. Mm-hmm. Right, so I think a lot of times in research we put too much burden on the participant to know what the answer is. In your example, the light bulb, but they just you know, they're not built that way. Humans aren't built that way. We're not rational beings. We're emotional beings. It's our job, right, as researchers and innovators to bring that innovation, that light bulb uh, view into uh, into the market. Exactly. And I think it's our job to hear from our participants or hear from our consumers or our customers, like, what's missing for you that would make your life easier or that would, you know, make your life categorically better in the sense of like, I'll feel happier, I'll feel more balanced, I'll feel more rested, you know, what, whatever that may be, and take that away and use that to help iterate and sort of help to design a solution that isn't rooted in like, what color do you want the button to be? Or, oh, Susan wants a brighter candle. No, like what Susan wants is to be able to read at night. Okay, like, let's take that and and design a solution. Exactly. That will meet those needs for sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's so interesting. I can't wait for this talk. I can't wait to hear. Are you going to be able to talk about the specific worlds? Um, yeah, I got I got permission. Oh, so still sort of putting stuff together, but pretty sure. excited to sort of bring all this to Washington in March. I did some research, or sorry, I did a podcast rather with a researcher at, I want to say it's it was Google, but I'd have to check my show notes. And um, this is right after COVID hit. So it's like April of 19. Uh, and, oh and they were talking, I know, and they were talking about the need for companies to have a a very strong view on a five-year scenarios that are just like off the wall, not right mm-hmm. from right current reality, but have some layer of like plausibility, which, you know, usually is brute. <laughs> it's almost like creating a movie. But if they don't have that, then they don't have a, you know, a roadmap or a script to follow when or mm-hmm. if that particular event takes place. And then they're basically just floundering. This is the thing I really love about bringing foresight to the table. I think the world's might that we used, they may not be true, right? I Who knows? I mean, after living the last two years, we've all lived. The key takeaway, at least for me, was like, we have no idea what's coming. But you're at least able to kind of look to the landscape and say, here's some stuff that we think five years from now could be a thing. At least I'm able to say like, or have a point of view as to how you're going to react. So, you know, how are you going to react if privacy legislation completely changes? How are you going to react if, you know, Facebook builds this VR world 
that we're all now going to be buying NFT land. I barely understand what any of that means. I think having some sort of five-year vision that is rooted in at least some kind of reality or some kind of strategy will at least get you thinking about what possibilities exist and like and find your place within them. And there's a lot of humility we as brands need to have when we're entering into this because you just pointed out so perfectly, right? Like Eminem just bought an NFT for I think it was around half a million dollars, five over $500,000 yeah. an NFT. And that whole market is being valued at astronomical rates right now. It's, it's targeted to be over a trillion dollars, the metaverse is over a trillion dollars by 2025. So yeah, we've mm-hmm. really got to be thinking about our world and the evolution of the world, regardless of sort of the, those biases. And it's so, it's so, so interesting. Okay. So shifting gears a little bit, what do you see as the biggest issue that's facing consumer insights today? I think the shift to online, and that's probably such a cliched answer, but I'm a bit concerned that stakeholders have gotten used to fast online cheap when it comes to research, right? It's like, oh, let's just get four people on Zoom calls and call it a day. And, you know, like, call me old school, but there's something to be said for the in-home and the in-field that there's a richness there and a richness to the data and the experience that I think is so helpful. The thing that I'm concerned about for consumer insights in this world of purely online is there's little room for spontaneity and there's a little room for play. And to me, like those are really the cornerstones of innovation. Oh my gosh. It's so such an important point that you're making right now. And this is the problem with brands in a lot of ways is, you know, we're reduced to an annual budget and we have to figure out the allocation of that budget. And we need to have a portion of it that's sequestered for, as you articulated, discovery, play, fun, right? We, yeah. we need to we need to be able to operate outside of a, here's my business problem. Just because you have a scalpel doesn't mean you should perform surgery. And like anybody can perform a survey, right? That's not hard to yeah. get into any free survey application or paid and create one, launch it, and then get some data, right? But you and totally. I both know that that's not the insight. No, not at all. Um, and I think like, particularly when I, I just think about like how performative Zoom or, you know, just web conferencing has become, like everyone yeah. now knows how to be like on, quote, unquote, I'm doing air quotes, there's no camera, what am I doing? But that sort of like, quote unquote, like on <laughs> persona that we all bring, totally to, you know, like, yep. I'm going to be my best self from the waist up, but I'll be in sweatpants below. <laughs> like. And frankly, it's in the sweatpants below where humans get interesting. It's in the weird contradictions where someone says, oh, like the most important thing in my life is to get fit. But then you see the like piles of pizza boxes in the kitchen. You're like, those beautiful contradictions are very hard to capture and see and explore and understand through a webcam. It's by going out and sort of engaging people and meeting people where they are that we begin to see the multiple tensions that people sort of live and the contradictions that they're not even aware of that are like a very big part of their lives. Oh, so well said. Last question. What is your personal motto? Um, so I thought about coming up with a different one because I feel like mine's a bit <laughs> weird, but I'll, I'll be honest and say, uh, be the extra you want to see in the world. Our guest has been Marcos Moldez, qualitative UX research lead at Pinterest. Sir, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks so much. It's been fun. Absolute honor, everybody. I hope you will join me on site in Washington, D.C., 
The stars align for us all to look at each other in real life eyes. Have a great rest of your day.